Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe for future content. For more information about our one-on-one coaching and other training or nutrition options, visit giftedperformance.com. Our newest feature, the Gifted Express, offers premium programming for bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, and lifestyle clients for only $30 a month. Enjoy the video. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, giving you knowledge, a lot of knowledge today, and practical takeaways, some of those as well, to improve your own general physical preparedness. I'm happy to say that I am joined today by a big brain, 200 IQ, in an area that we don't talk about a lot, but cannot continue to go ignored, Dylan. Dylan, what is your official title? What, like, when someone's like, hey, Dylan, we're at a dinner party, and I say, hey, Dylan, what do you do for a living? What do you tell them that you do for a living? What's like the official title? Yeah, I usually just say I'm a licensed therapist, and they're okay. like, what kind of therapist? And I say I specialize in mental health. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then I'm joined by two other beautiful co-hosts, the men who need no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Big Polly Rocket. Paul, how are you today? Hi, awesome. Oh, wow. Awesome. Nice. And Jason. Jason awesome. just hopped off a awesome. tutoring call. How did the tutoring call go? Are our students embarrassing you and disappointing you with every chance they get? Uh, I don't believe that I'm qualified to help anyone do anything. And don't... the tutoring has definitely... No, oh. this isn't selling it. We got to edit going that out. Ryan. <laughs> it's going Ryan. It's, go- it's going well. It's going well. I Good. feel like I'm enriching the lives of our students. Good. And if you're like, what the heck? What's tutoring? I haven't even heard of that. I'm new around here. I haven't heard of the tutoring. Stay tuned. Semester two will be ready for you guys mid-June. So go over to the Gift Performance page, turn on post notifications, and find out what we're teaching in semester two and what you can get certified in. That's enough selling stuff. I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. I want to talk more about Dylan, with Dylan, for Dylan, all that good stuff. Dylan, give us an introduction to you as a person. You know, you've introduced what you do for a living. Who is the man with the very hard last name to pronounce that I'm going to try right now? It is Bill You. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I nailed it. Bill You. Yeah. Nailed it. I've heard so many different variations, so I'm glad you got it. What's the worst one? What's the worst one that you've heard? Oh, gosh. Heard one the other day. Gosh, I've heard blue, bilia, all these different. <laughs> I like that. Bilia. Yeah, yeah. really is it true. is it any relation to uh, Tom Bilyeu? I believe is the fellow on YouTube. Yeah, the Quest Nutrition guy. I just, I wish, I wish he was, uh, you know, my uncle or something like that. But no, unfortunately, no relation. You should just make him relation. Just say it. No like, one's wish you had. I wish you had that Quest Nutrition test. money. I know that'd be awesome. But... Yeah. So, um, yeah, my name's Dylan. Uh, what got me into the, like the bodybuilding, uh, community, I guess was, um, I was really fat, overweight, bullied as a kid growing up and played baseball sports. But I was like that fat kid. Um, I was decent at sports for my weight, but just, you know, um, was just not happy with where I was. I started to play the violin in fourth grade and I wanted to try football because of my size. My mom's like, no, you'll break your arm. You'll break your arm. So I didn't. They cut the program in high school, so I'm like, what do I do now? Some dude was like, hey, wrestling team. Sounds good. So I joined the wrestling team junior year of high school, lost about 45 pounds, started to go from just, you know, video game addiction more or less, just always playing video games to never playing video games and 
eating okay. I'm not, you know, binging, nothing like that. Not, not restricting calories, just, you know, working out finally and doing cardio and lost that weight. Senior, I joined the guard, the national guard at 17 as well. So that helped me like, you know, get in shape as well um, throughout that process. And then senior year rolls around, started practicing third, third match of the season. I ended up breaking my arm, spout fracture. And now I have a plate 12 screws. And so that kind of got me on my fitness journey. And I became really passionate about the bodybuilding sport, started to follow all the, you know, the athletes there. CrossFit was a big thing around that time as well. So we did CrossFit for wrestling and the military, things like that. So um, got my degree in psychology back in, gosh, 2014, and then took a few years off working at a treatment facility for kids and really loved it. And I wanted to help families and kids more. And so I'm like, what can I do? So I decided to go to grad school for clinical mental health counseling and got my degree in 2018, became a licensed therapist, worked in a facility with men with sex addiction and another co-recurring disorders. So I saw a lot of different personality disorders, OCD type stuff, eating disorders, things like that, along with the sex addiction piece. And so my passion has always been bodybuilding um, competitions. I did jujitsu for quite a while as well. I just love that competition aspect of things. So I've decided I kind of want to combine my passion with just athletes and all those different types of sports with mental health just to you know help athletes because i know that's a big thing you know anxiety depression eating disorders things like that throughout the bodybuilding community and athletes in general so i have two things i'm gonna let these guys comment number one is that one of these days when i find myself out in the we'll call it the acceptable state of Arizona. I'm from Florida, the greatest state in the entire United States. So, you know, everything is below Florida, just goes Florida and then everything else. But when I find myself out in the state of Arizona, I'm going to take you out for a beer because I feel like you probably have some quality stories from some things that you've seen, places that you've been, places that you've worked, all that stuff. I feel like I could really, you know, pick your brain and we could we could have a good conversation there. Number two is that I want to give you props for playing the violin because to this day, there are two instruments that are super impressive to me. If you can rip on the piano or on the violin, you're a gangster to me. Someone who's just going ham on the violin. Oh, I love seeing that in person. I'll, I'll throw you a tip any day of the week. Sounds good. Come on out. Come on out anytime. It's just so dry hot out there. I'm like a lizard. I need to soak up the sun and get some what of that. Part of, what part going. of Florida, by the way? Uh, are you close Iron to Tampa by chance? No, so Tampa's the other coast. So Tampa is where we have our coach, Anthony Plaza, and then um, one of our PTs that we work with uh, indirectly. His wife is Mar- Maria Heyerholzer. I guess Maria Plaza now. They got married. Yeah, that's how that works. Uh, Paul and I are in Melbourne Beach area. And then if you go to the middle of the state, you've got Orlando, which is where Jason is. The great city of Orlando, Sanford, Maitland, that Actually, kind of it's, area. It's Sanford, Sanford, Florida. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving uh, you Orlando because no one knows what Sanford is. Isn't that where they shot The Office? In Sanford? No, they did not. They did. Scranton. No, like, isn't that the fictional town? No. It's not known is for it? a lot oh, of it's Scranton. Oh, okay. The Office <laughs> is Scranton, right? Scranton. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because that's yeah. where I'm from in Pennsylvania. Hey, Dylan, are you part... Are you part Asian? I'm not. No, no. I, no I've okay. never got that. My brother. I now need to know why baby. you asked. Oh, it was the violin thing. Oh, I don't know. Like, I just... Dylan, are you half black? 
<laughs> not, not today, Jason. Not today. <laughs> we'll let you in, though, Dylan. Well, I, I know some people will get you the emails. I feel like me and Dylan, we look like we could be the same species. Yeah. You do. You do. Yeah. I could see that. All right. Need to put another 20 pounds on to get to your height or get to your level there of fall. We can, we can get you there. We can find a way. The technology exists. Tell Cliff, tell Cliff you're leaving him. You found some new coaches that think that you might be half black, half Asian, yes, and can easily side. get you to a lean 240. Blasian. <laughs> All right. So before we kind of dive into our deeper discussion for, the today, for today, which is around kind of disordered eating within the bodybuilding space, I think it's important whenever you have one of these conversations that's about a highly charged, very complex topic that you start with definitions. So we have to operate on the same page in terms of what we mean when we say certain words. And this is a space, I'm sure it frustrates the living hell out of you, where people throw around words and terms without fully understanding what they mean. And they might actually do more harm than good by misnomering or misdefining these kind of things. So when we look at disordered eating versus eating disorder, what is the definition of those two and how do they differ from each other? I feel like um, disordered eating is um, the umbrella overarching term essentially and there's like a continuum spectrum of that so on one spectrum you have that normal body image maybe they're a little dissatisfied with things they start uh, just a fad diet they start dieting a little bit um, controlling their calorie intake or they might swing to maybe some emotional eating but nothing too um to the extremes then in in the middle of that that continuum you'll have you have that symptomologies or symptoms of eating disorders. So like we were talking about earlier, they might have two or three of these um, criteria to meet a certain diagnosable disorder within the eating disorders. And then if they meet all five or uh, however many criteria of the DSM um, diagnoses, and that could be considered a diagnosable eating disorder essentially. So when you when you identify these criteria, can you give the people maybe an example of what the criteria might be, like what you're specifically looking for? Like person X reports that they are doing, performing this behavior. That's a checkbox that that counts as one. So, um, gosh, I would have to. Uh don't have the DSM memorized, I'd look at that, but usually some type of diagnosis over a certain length of period of time. So if this has been going on for three months, six months, maybe a year, again, um, I'd have to uh, refresh on all the diagnosis criteria. But again, um, it's usually a time period and how often is this behavior or these things happening within that time period? So more days than not. So is it, um, most days like is it five out of the seven days of the week things like that or how many times is this behavior happening more or less um and then again obviously you you, you split the um, eating disorders in different things so you can um you know there's different like with uh, bulimia there's the purging type versus the non-purging type things like that calorie restriction excessive exercising things like that so you can get um specifiers within those diagnoses as well when you look at those specifiers, so I think there's within the space, I think people really understand or they know about anorexia. They know about bulimia. Those are the two that people I think really know a lot about ones that maybe, you know, have 
like weaseled their way into the culture as maybe normal behavior would be things like exercise addiction and binge eating disorder. I think those are two that people say, you know, oh, exercise addiction, it's perfectly fine as a bodybuilder to go to the gym and lift weights for three hours and then do an hour and a half of two hours of cardio after that to maintain this body. Or, you know, it's it's perfectly normal. Coach gives me a cheat day that I go out and I consume 8,000 calories worth of Krispy Kreme donuts. I do that once a week. It's part of my plan. It can't be an eating disorder or a disordered eating if it's part of my plan. Do you see that in the in the industry? Would you say maybe orthorexia falls into that too? I would say to some degree, degree yes. Yes. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about that, Paul? What do you mean? Or I, I think that's the term. Just people who are obsessed with like, uh, I think I believe it's like healthy eating or eating clean food. Clean. Oh, so orthorexia, like nervosa, things like that. So the um, optimal nutrition type stuff. Okay, yeah. And so um, that's, I don't think that's um, a diagnosis in the DSM, but again, there's people that like, you know, um, no, 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 no. Yeah. that really I, like would, would um, veganism or being a vegetarian kind of fall under that or just someone that can only eat that, those, those clean calories essentially not have that flexible dieting. Yeah. I think it comes yeah. down. No, I was I was just thinking because Ryan Ryan was mentioning things that have like kind of fell into somewhat of a norm that people don't look at as. Well, I guess maybe like an issue. Well, in the DSM, there's the um, gosh, it's called the elimination. Um, gosh, I can't think of it right now. But it talks about you you eliminate certain foods. Essentially, you don't you only eat certain foods, or you're um, about that like. Um, you can't go outside that norm or it causes that distress or the anxiety, things like that. So they have to, they have to eat within a certain diet. So again, um, when you talk with bodybuilders, again, some coaches have, this is what you, what you can eat. This is your diet for the week, for the day, you know, chicken, breast, broccoli, rice, things like that. But again, it goes back to, are you eating that macros, flexible diet? And what's your diet? What kind of diet does your coach have you on? So I don't know what kind of diets do you guys try to put your clients on? Jay, you want to take that one? Yeah. Uh, I think I, I try to be a little bit, I, I guess when I go through the, excuse me, the consult period, I will try to sort of ask the person or not even necessarily ask them, just try to determine their personality a little bit as to what may work for them. <clears throat> like for some people, some people may need some level of structure that might look like a meal plan or a meal plan with some options. And some people might have the fortitude or at least the knowledge to, you know, go fully into tracking where they can just use my fitness pal and, you know, they feel comfortable with that. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a slippery slope because tracking itself, I think, and that was going to be one of my questions. I feel like that could lead into its own level of neurosis itself. Um, but usually I just try to have a conversation with that person, um, and try to determine just how much, help they need. So it isn't necessary. There was a time where I would try to give everybody macros and everybody had to track. And that was the only way that I did it. And then as I've gotten, I don't, you know, older or maybe just experienced different personalities over time. Like now I try to shift things a little bit where some people might track, some people might have very simple rules, like, you know, just make sure that you eat protein X amount of times a day, uh, or, uh, stay away from these things. Or, you know, it might be something as even as simple as like drink this much water. It's just, it's, it's shifted over time. I think at least for me personally. 
Okay. I'm very different. I, I won't work with somebody if they won't track <laughs> or, uh, like sometimes I'll do like a rough kind of meal plan thing, but it's just the type of, um, the type of client that I'm looking to work with. Right. Like I want that accuracy and I want to be as sure as possible that we're doing things that move us in the right direction. Right. So, yeah. So for me working uh, with my coach, um, he does macros as well. And I was like, can you just tell me what to eat? Just tell me the foods, the amounts, the grams, the ounces, whatever, just to make this one less thing I have to think about and track and develop a meal plan for myself. And I'm like, how do people do it? You see all these bodybuilders, you know, going to, you know, Chipotle or going to these restaurants, how are they tracking their meals too? And so he's like really for the norm, a lot of athletes keep their meal plans, they eat the same thing daily, but they change the amounts they eat, or they might replace one meal for that day with something else, a different protein source, carb source, things like that. But really, once you get into the bodybuilding, you know, when you're in that competitive mode or you're trying to do things, you try to keep things really precise and not really change the whole things up again for your sanity because again i can see people spending hours upon hours each day or you know their whole sunday trying to meal prep and develop that perfect meal plan for them which is can just added the stress of already a stressful um sport i will say this i do like i like to tell people like hey man there are times where we have to be very stringent and there are times where we can reel back a little bit and hey try not to stress out about you know the birthday thing coming up this week like it's okay if you don't track that meal you know um let's try not to go insane too and uh you know hey it's the improvement season you can be a little more loose right let's just try not to let things get out of control if we have to we'll reel them in you know if things do get a little out of control like hey it's not the end of the world you've lost it before you can lose it again you know and then obviously like getting closer to a diet or in a dieting period i'm like hey if you don't want this to last forever we need to be a little more stringent we can't have as many liberties you know mm -hmm. definitely i think there's there's a question in here that's and this is for everyone is like where is that tipping point from where a diet or a nutritional pursuit for optimizing body composition becomes this is just par for the course of what needs to be done to where it becomes disordered because like you guys are mentioning like the meal plan can can be disordered at its at its heart we can get into some of the orthorexic behaviors of these are the foods that you are allowed to have these are the foods that you're not allowed to have then you create this dichotomy of good and bad foods which doesn't necessarily exist but the same exists for the flexible dieting the people who like dylan said are spending hours in my fitness pal like Oh no, 96 grams instead of 98. That way I can have, you know, an extra chocolate chip over here. Like that, in my opinion, is also disordered. Dylan, I think you did a good job of defining, it might've been before we started. You said something about when it creates undue stress or undue anxiety on the individual, that's when it transitions over. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. So really... I don't try to put my clients in the DSM box. I don't say you have an anxiety disorder, you have an adjustment disorder, you have X, Y, and Z. Um, people come into my office all the time with all these different uh, concerns and problems that they're facing. And really, um, for example, someone that can be restricting their calories 
is exercising quite a bit, if they have a life full of enjoyment, um, I would argue that they might not to, to that if they're doing the, um, excessive working out, restricting calories, not enjoying the holidays, things like that. But if it, um, if something doesn't really cause them, just, and I learned this in grad school, like the first, um, in one of my first classes, if it does not cause a person distress or impairment in their daily function or lives, it's really hard to say, okay, they can meet most of the criteria, but if they're not really, I would argue, is it causing them impairment or a significant other, a loved one, their family members distress or impairment as well? So causing them or someone else distress or impairment is how I like to classify diagnoses or problem areas in a person's life. So is that kind of clear across the board with most, I guess, addiction, such a weird term, but I, um, is that kind of the, the way that you determine those things is, you know, is it infringing on your life or is it causing you distress or is it, you know, are you, are you thinking about this thing all the time? Is that how you kind of come up with those diagnoses? Let's talk about someone that likes to go binge drinking. And so binge drinking, um, I don't know the exact definition, but I, for like men, if you have more than like five or six drinks in one setting, I think it might even be a little bit less, like four. I think it's like more than considered... two or three even potentially. Oh, I could be wrong. I, I'm yeah. not the expert here. <laughs> so most most people, 21 years or older, have probably binge drink, binge drink um, quite a yes, bit in their lifetime, yesterday. college, things like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so uh, with that being said, did that cause you distress or impairment, Paul? Did you wake up today, um, maybe a little hungover, but, um, you know, does, is, that, is that so distressing where you're beating yourself up? You're saying, I'm just an idiot. I'm just, um, I'm a fool. I'm a failure for you going, been drinking the night before, things like that. So, so a lot of people can go do those types of behaviors and be completely fine. They can have plenty of friends. They, they're successful with their work. They're happy with themselves. And that's just what they do, they they go out and they drink and they have a good time and they do it once in a while, not every day. I like that because I know, um, you know, being involved in the fitness community for like, I don't know, over a decade now, especially when Instagram and social media got big, there was like a phase where people were like, there's something wrong with you if you can't enjoy Thanksgiving or whatever, and you got to bring your food. And then I think a few years ago, the pendulum swung in the other direction and people were like, no, it's cool. Do what makes you happy. Right. But if that drinking drinking turns into drinking, driving, getting in a DUI, but everything's fine, I'm good, but I have a DUI or two, or I'm, I'm on my third divorce, but I'm living my life, that can be, that's a, I would argue that could be a, dis, um, a diagnosis or definitely a, a serious matter, just because you're like, I'm fine, everything's good. So you can bring that back around. I've talked to a few athletes, like everything, they enjoy what they do. It's a passion, they love it, they, they live and die with bodybuilding, but then they isolate from their families, their, their parents can't get a hold of them. They don't go to Christmas holidays, or if they do, there's an argument about, are you going to bring your own food or are you going to eat our food things like that? They don't go celebrate birthdays and go out to restaurants. And if they do, they're having a meltdown, things like that. I actually have a question, right? Um, is how, how you differentiate that stuff? Because I would, I would assume because I, I I've had, uh, some, shared some of these behaviors right and i think like a lot of times maybe it does impede parts of their life or relationships but they'll tell you that it doesn't and it just makes them happy they're like oh what like this makes me happy i want to do it but like you know somewhere in there, there there's something going on right there's some friction mm -hmm. 
I think you have to really be honest with yourself about why am I doing this sport? And it can be anything. It can be, you know, why am I an amateur fill in the blank with the sport? Why am I doing this? Am I, is this what I do for a living? Am I actually making money off this? Am I supporting myself my, and my family with this sport? And really, why did I get into this in the first place? Because a lot of people, I think, Paul, you were mentioning, you, you, did you wrestle in no, high school? Or did you play sports in high school? Well, a lot of the I, oh, we're talking um, Ryan about just um, wrestling is another example of just how some eating disorders might show up with that kind of restrictive diet things like that. But really, um, why did you uh, why did a bodybuilder become a bodybuilder? Because you know the chances of them being pro and you know ma- actually making a decent living off it is really the percent is kind of pretty is low. And so it's like, um, do you do it for, are you doing it for that? Or are you doing it for the, the, the Instagram followers or what are you really doing it for? Yeah. That really makes it matter or makes the difference between the isolation, the, um, I'm just going to do it because I have to mentality or is, I, I love it. I'm going to enjoy the whole process of it. I think so, those I are, think uh, kind of, go ahead, Jason. Okay. I think, uh, those are definitely good things good point you brought up because I've noticed, especially and Paul brought that up as well, like recently and maybe because of my age and, you know, sort of going through seeing bodybuilding in a number of different sort of iterations over time. You know, when I was a kid, there were just magazines and you didn't, you just knew the people that you went to the gym with, or you might go to a show and see some other bodybuilders where now it's, it's so large that being the biggest guy at your gym isn't satisfying because there's a bunch of people at other gyms that are now bigger than you. And I, it, that itself would almost seem like it leads into or lends to some of those, you know, those behaviors that bodybuilders have where it's like, they're constantly not good enough. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I guess that would be, so do you feel like that just because bodybuilding has changed overall or it's perception or even it's uh, rece- reception, Overall, do you feel like that's changed people's behaviors within bodybuilding itself? Have you noticed that at all? I would definitely um, kind of like to get your guys' thoughts on that too. But um, I, I'm curious if Instagram and social media didn't exist, how many people would actually be in the sport today? And how many bikini competitors or how many, you know, physique um, competitors there would be if there wasn't um, Instagram or TikTok and all these different, um, you know, the ways they receive that, um, external and instant gratification, that external validation piece, because it is an expensive sport. So it's, um, it's really a lot of dedication. And some people, as you probably see, they, they hop in the sports, they do it for a few years and they hop on stage. They don't do very well. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's not, a, I don't, for some people it not, might not be about doing the best or getting the first place, but it's about bettering themselves. I can see that with many people, they do it to better themselves because it is a grind. It's a, a certain mindset. But again, I'm, I'm curious on how many people, how, how small, much smaller the community might be if there wasn't yeah, social media around. around. All right. I have had the talk with plenty of uh, clients and friends, like, I mean, clients that, because, you know, I think maybe it was around the 2012s, 2010 or something. Like all of a sudden you see people like making money on YouTube, like Matt Ogus and them and stuff. And uh, then you see people getting followers on Instagram. So there's that external validation point. 
but then you see some people lucky lucky enough to monetize it right so now there's incentive for being a bodybuilder looking good and potentially building a following and potentially making money off of it and i have to i've had to tell a lot of clients over the years i'm like hey man making a youtube to review ice cream like i'm sorry that's that's not that's not how that's not a super lucrative thing like if you want to coach you you can make money you know like uh and that's probably where you should put your bat your the the eggs in the basket if you want to make money from this but you know it's not going to be competing it's not it's you put probably not youtube right like it's a very saturated market already you know and stuff like that but yeah no i think social media absolutely has had a a massive impact on um how many people are in this activity now and also what drives them to be a part of it you know we we mentioned this just before the call when we talked i think you know a lot of people were like me where they just weren't happy with their the way they looked right and they started gravitating towards it through various pathways and then with social media i think like you know that introduced a lot of new factors that people are now also attracted to I think it's funny noticed, that uh, you picked on bikini girls. You were like the bikini division, and I was like, "Man, you know what? He's a he's a hundred percent right." I, I, I remember when I did my first physique. show in like 2013, 2014. Maybe it was just because I was very hyper focused on like the bodybuilders that were backstage, and like, "Oh, how am I going to do compared to these guys?" But man, I don't remember like any bikini girls backstage. Like maybe like six or seven bikini girls in the whole show and then i did my last show in 2019 and it was like you know our best turnout ever we've got 300 bikini girls here like oh my <laughs> so we went from six <laughs> five years later to 300 like wow that's that's a really large growth there so yeah i think that division in and of itself is one that has exploded and i think a lot of that has been driven you by validation kind of... on yeah. social media it's like it's like you it's it's a beauty pageant times a hundred it's a fancy suit it's makeup it's hair it's trophies it's compared to other people like i'm the best first call out center of first call out i won my class i want it's a lot of like there's a lot of baked in validation there if you do well but i also think that there's an infinite amount of opportunities to be extremely disappointed in yourself in a very, very subjective sport. Like it really can chew people up and spit people out just because the subjective feedback from the judges, especially in a division like bikini. Dude, I don't want to detract from that, that, but I, I just thought about too, how like social media changed the image of what this sport can bring you to. Um, and I think falsely a lot too, but, um, you know, from, I never, any time in my, like, I've never looked at a bodybuilder and thought like Lambo, you know, or, uh, lots of money or a mansion or anything like that. But then you got like, I don't know, companies like Blackstone labs and PJ Braun posting with fancy cars and, you know, hiring these bodybuilders or bikini girls. And all of a sudden all of these fitness, uh, 
you know, icons, they just have all this nice shit and nice money. Uh, they probably just rented the Lambo for the day. Like, you know what I mean? But it, it definitely changed you that know image. Who, you so know who didn't have to like... rent it was Ronnie Coleman. 2001, 2002 redemption <laughs> documentary. He's in the tricked out Hummer and he's <laughs> yeah. he's doing some of these. Listen, that was yeah. 100% authentic, but you ain't Ronnie and you couldn't. You That's can't what I was going like to say. That. I mean, back in the day. <laughs> Back in the day, I mean, like Sean Ray, like all those guys, they drove exotic cars. That's, you know, Flex Wheeler. Like they're like, I got a Lambo or that's, you know, I got my Corvette. So definitely, I think things shifted quite a bit. Um, and I think a to little bit of that. just because, the top guys. Well, a little bit of like it is the people that are actually mean? making money don't compete. I mean, <laughs> like that's just honest. That's 100. I mean, you got to figure Chris Bumstead probably makes more money than everybody in the open division because he's good at social media. He's probably the most popular. And I'm sure he probably makes more money because Classifics still doesn't get paid that much, even as a winner. No. So he's probably making more money from everything else that doesn't involve bodybuilding. But look at, um, what's that fella's name? Christian Guzman. That guy mm -hmm. is papered up. Uh, Bradley Martin hasn't competed in a really long time. He's also fairly papered up. So it's all these people that either don't compete or compete at a level. I think Christian Guzman competes at like his own show, I think, or maybe he competes in, you know, smaller shows in Texas or That's something like that. It. But it's a lot of people on social media that are making money from fitness that don't compete at all. Um, I found, well, that I mean, as, even go ahead. Oh, sorry. I found that as time's gone well, on, I've had, I've met, or encountered more competitors that usually the first thing that kind of comes out of their mouth is that they would like to be an influencer. Like they're competing to become an influencer, which seems weird. Cause it's like, you don't have to compete to be an influencer. You can just go straight to the money. You can just skip the whole competing part. But isn't, isn't the money and the influence and the social status are in, within the health and fitness space still wrapped entirely around your body image? Don't we see that the only reason why Chris Bumstead, Bradley Martins, the Christian Guzmans of the world, why they can sell their product is because it's attached to a shirtless photo. And I think a lot of that gets back to feeding into if you're viewing that content continually and you're seeing that as the pinnacle of what success is, I think you're going to struggle with things that like some other things that we need to define, like body dysmorphia, muscle dysmorphia. Um, Dylan, I heard you say it before we started the call, bigorexia. Is that an actual legitimate term now? Is that a, like a recognized term mm -hmm. that's used? Okay. Synonyms okay. for muscle dysmorphia, essentially. Yeah. So it's, um, you can interchangeable. So, so what are our definitions there? What's the definition between yeah, body dysmorphia and muscle dysmorphia? What's the difference there? Really, they're interchangeable um, or body dysmorphia. So, um, goodness. So, just being unsatisfied with just seeing yourself in a flawed view. So, um, not um, again looking at yourself and saying, you know, I could be skinnier or I don't like this. Like this could be better. And it doesn't have to just be. It can be with your facial things too. So, you know, Botox has become more accessible and actually, um, I think, cheaper nowadays than ever. And so people are doing all these different types of things with Botox, um, all these different types of treatments that I've never heard of. I know cryotherapy type stuff for facial uh, wrinkles, stuff like that. So, again, it's just um, 
And I think, you know, um, social media, the media, TV, movies, all these different types of things. And with, you know, with seeing this all the time, um, you know, we all have phones next to us right now. So we can hop on Instagram, social media, and just start scrolling and seeing all this different type of, type of stuff. And it's like, when we start comparing ourselves, we feel less than others. We try to, you know, get the equal playing field where we, we try to go one up that better than and so we try to overcompensate by whatever means. We try to make more money. We try to um, look skinnier, get more muscles, things like that. You know, have X, Y, and Z to feel better about ourselves because we don't. There could be some jealousy there. There could be some like you know that um, I need to do that to feel um, some type of joy and excitement in my life. And so again. Um, not to blame social media, but with things becoming so accessible, I'm sure you could um, hop online, type in Botox facility, and there could be one not too far away. And they're, it's a little bit cheaper since you know more people are doing it, more people are becoming certified. It's a lot cheaper nowadays, supply and demand. And so again, with all that stuff, you know, so many people at such a young age too are getting you know enhanced um, breast or um, you know. Uh, you know, we can even talk about um, P PEDs and things like that, too. That can be some type of, you know, it is an enhancement. But again, for, for men and women um, to go to that next level. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at all this that's going on right here. This is I, I'm not afraid to admit it. This isn't natural. This isn't me. These are fillers right here. This this line right here. This nice. These lips fillers. All of oh. it. I'm not. I, I'll admit Did you pay it. for that. I did. I paid good I mean, money dude, for it. I I know Damn. more people that get these like more guys that get Botox than I ever thought I would. I'm like, holy shit, dude! I, I have friends that get Botox. Like, <laughs> well, it's it's so it's readily crazy. available now, and it's so like yeah. widespread throughout the community that I don't think it's really kind of it doesn't have the stigma or the taboo around it that it used to of like a like a man getting Botox like no. 2010 you're like oh like you know me and my boys we're gonna get Botox like what you're gonna do what now it's now it's so <laughs> widespread and readily available like you said don't Harry for well for men that are um they're losing their hair at a young age How you know dare balding, you. They're, they're able to get you know, <laughs> not Jason's I know, people Jason, I know well if it makes you feel any better I've gotten like my I've got my eyebrows waxed before if that makes a difference but again we don't like something about ourselves we we try to change it because we're we're able to with a certain amount of money with you know things that are availability it's it's really easy to change whatever we want about ourselves um, to some degree. And so again, um, I don't think, um, you know, the bodybuilding community, um, athletes, it kind of, again, we take it to that extreme level too. We, we really, people, the normal populations here and the bodybuilding com community definitely takes it up a, a few notches when it comes to changing their body shapes, their um, different things through through many means as and well. And before we started the call, before Jason hopped on with us, Dylan and, and Paul and I were discussing, you know, what it's like a chicken and an egg kind of thing of like disordered eating. Is it something that bodybuilding causes in people? 
are are their disordered eating patterns a result of taking part in bodybuilding or was this an individual who maybe already had some disordered eating patterns and they saw bodybuilding as a way to as an outlet for those or as a way to normalize those behaviors is it a, in a sport that attracts these individuals is it a sport that creates these issues or is it maybe a mixture of the two jason i'm i, I didn't haven't haven't gotten your opinion on it yet let's let's hear it uh, <clears throat> um that's that's an interesting question um i think for me personally i think there were certain uh i guess personality traits that probably would have lended to me eating. i'm just an over analytic person in general like i can't do i can't just make a decision so analyzing how i was going to eat as soon as i started bodybuilding and start to realize that oh eating like this which involved numbers and involved timing and involved like a lot of things like a lot of things that i could kind of like uh, over analyze that's when i it lended to my personality a ton it still lends to my like i still and i feel like i think you know over the past 25 years or so eating like a bodybuilder has been the one character trait or personality uh i guess you can call it a dysfunction that i've almost tried to get rid of and it just will not go like i cannot I can't remove the anxiety that I get if I have if I know that I haven't had four to five servings of protein that day I'm like like what what do I do like I can't I can't just go to bed I uh, what do I get in the car do I drive and go find some chicken somewhere like there's no chicken here like do I have some weight like it's it, it's a weird thing um so I think it it's probably a combination of the two and I think there are probably some people that may have had some level of disordered eating beforehand and bodybuilding lended to it. But I'd like to think that bodybuilders are a personality trait and bodybuilding just kind of unlocks a lot of that through that whole entire process. Yeah. When I, look I feel at like it, uh... it's like a control thing, right? It's almost like a, like a, you feel like you have control on those inputs and outputs. Like I control the time of day that I eat, I control the portions. And Dylan, I wonder how much in your practice you talk with people who are coming from that bodybuilding background and it, and it does feel like something that they are in control of. Maybe things outside of bodybuilding are, they feel like are really, for lack of a better term, out of their control and bodybuilding is that one thing that they, that they can. Is that like a common conversation that you have? Mm -hmm. Well, I like to look at things and um, as like a biopsychosocial, so biology, genetics. Did their mom or dad have an eating disorder, or did they have a did they have a poor relationship with food? And some, um, you know, females are more likely than males, based on statistics, to have some type of eating disorder. Some um, ethnicities are more likely to have an eating disorder than other ethnicities as well. So you look at the genetics and heritability factors and things like that as well. But then you also look at the environmental and social factors like peer influences, what kind of her, like how, like for me, example, you know, I was a, a fat, overweight, obese kid that could barely do a push up or pull up and got picked on for my weight. And so, um, I was, and I hated it and I didn't even mean to join wrestling. It was just right there in front of me and I did it and I lost weight and, when I um, left for college, came back over the summer, people like people I went to high school with, I graduated. My class was like two, 210 folks, my graduating class in high school. And some people I went to high school with that I went to high school with all four years, 
they didn't even recognize me because I lost that much weight. They're like, holy crap, you've changed so much. And so again, getting those external validation, those like, wow, look at like what I did. You know, people came and recognized me. I'm not going to get picked on anymore. And then I, I'm like that kind of big guy. Again, I'm not big to many people, but in certain um, certain groups of people, I was that big guy. And again, I'd rather be that big guy than that, that fat, overbeast kid as well. So again, you look at the environmental social factors as well. Um, did your parents play sports? Did, was your dad a football star? I wanted to ingrain that perfectionistic attitude in you like you know that all or nothing mindset like you're gonna be number one and so you take that throughout your work career your college career any sports you do and things like that to be number one and have that mindset and then you look at the psychological factors like i just talked about so um, just looking at yourself in a negative light and have that low self-worth that low self-esteem maybe some impulsivity there or like jason you talked about that control factor like you like to have control of certain things of and this is this is one area of my life where i can control i can control what i consume i can control i can be really um precise and this control and precision can get me this trophy this pro card and then again, looking at, um, like I said, family values too, the high expectations. Maybe mom told their daughter, hey, you kind of look a little chubby today in that dress. You might want to change, you know, just little subtle things. The mom met well, the mom didn't want their daughter to be picked on, possibly, like, because, um, you know, kids aren't the nicest. And so just little things like that. Maybe parents went around and so they got comfort in food things like that. So you can look at all these different types of uh, positive, negative reinforcement factors that create some type of health, uh, mental health uh, concerns, anxiety, depression, some OCD tendencies possibly, and then e these eating disorders that we've been talking about or disorders. Would you eating. say that that kind of what you just listed off there is pretty much your standard procedure when you have someone who comes to you for the first time? Like, do you start with that biopsychosocial model and then you kind of go from there? Or is there a different because, you know, we and, and you're a coach too. So you understand like when we get a new athlete that comes in, like we start with a needs analysis. Is, is that something similar to what you would do with an, another, with a patient who comes to you? Like, is there a needs analysis process where you kind of list off certain things that, that may be at the root of the issue? What's, what's the procedure there? Mm -hmm. I usually have them do like an intake form that has a bunch of different questions about just um, family history a little bit. Um, what's your relationships like now? Kind of like, um, and I kind of break it down to in like an assignment too. So it's called like the, this wellness will assignment that breaks down all aspects of wellness um, and a holistic thing because everything's really interconnected if you look at it your mental health is connected to your physical health and your physical health is connected with maybe your relationships and social health and then your emotional health as well if you um it's connected to your finances and career and spirituality if you hate your job you're probably going to be stressed out which might lead to i'm stressed depressed angry i'm not going to go to the gym today i'm going to eat like a crap today and again that affects your physical health and so and then you might not want to be around people so just things that like they're all interconnected so it's not just you focusing on that one piece of the pie with mental health and um, coaches that just focus on that one piece of the pie with physical health too but it's trying to how are they all interconnected so i i kind of rule out things too so with um some of these things because you know 
some of these can can be medical as well. So always rule out medical stuff too, with any mental health things as well. Is it medical or is it mental? So is it medical or is it physical? So um, so just always having them go get blood work, having them go see maybe a psychiatrist, talk, talk to their um, their primary care physician to see if there's anything medical that's causing a problem before we look at any uh, mental health interventions. So I have a question. Is is addictive personality, is that like a thing? Like, do, can people have addictive personalities? To just enjoy well, I mean, it, Yeah, things. or I mean, it could be I, many, like probably many things over a lifetime, but I mean, it could just be like one thing at a time, you know, I don't know. Yeah, so it's called like displacement, replacement type stuff. So um, for example, um, father could be an alcoholic, mother an alcoholic, so I'm going to stay away from alcohol. But again, that type of stuff is hereditary too. It can run in the family. It can be generational, generational trauma, generational addiction, things like that. So they might say, I'm not going to ever drink, but then they're always in the gym or they're in the casino or they're always on the video games, things like that. So addiction can be, you can replace one thing for another. So I'm never going to drink again. So people become sober and they find the gym. So again, I would say, is it just because they have a good addiction, you know, or we can look at workaholism, right? Workaholism is an addiction, but it's probably one of the most, um, widely acceptable addictions and people are praised for having that grind mentality, that workaholism. And so they could say, I'm going to work 80 hours a week and not have a social life and barely have a good diet. Like they're eating like crap and they're rarely sleeping. So their physical health is declining and they're just, um, if they're not working, they're not happy. They're not making money. They're not happy. So again, they're probably really depressed or, um, low self worth. And again, so, looking at societal factors too and cultural factors as well um, depending on the culture there they were raised in as no, well i was just thinking about that because i have noticed that about myself then like that i always find like a thing and i will run it into the ground that's like all i do and think about and that's like what like eventually things pushed me towards like bodybuilding in terms of body image and all that stuff and then you know, I just got super into it. And that's, that's been my life for the past decade, pretty much, you know, and then now I'm getting into new things and I'm like, oh man, I need to be careful because I'm starting to realize that in my free time, all I do is read about this one thing. I want to <laughs> learn more about it. I'm like, am I about to blow the whole next decade of my life on what it. I'm getting into right now? Like, <laughs> At least, at least it can lead to burnout eventually. You know, that all or nothing mentality it gets exhausting to always, you know, run it a hundred miles yeah. per hour. You know, it's, and it's like, you know, life is a, a marathon, I, not a sprint. And so is yeah, like, that's why I try and talk to a lot of my younger clients about sometimes when it seems like they're edging towards burnout or they just say certain things that like put me back in like my 22 year old body, you know, and I'm like, Hey man, like passion is good, but you can't just let passion go uncontrolled and just run it into the ground because you like doing it. Like if you want to enjoy something and really be successful at it long term, you have to control the passion, you know? You gotta learn to pump the brakes a little bit and not, you know, just slow strokes. miles an hour. You don't you don't go in there jackhammer yeah. from the start. You gotta slow stroke yeah. it. <laughs> enjoy it while it's yeah, going on. Yeah. yeah. Dylan, I had a question, and maybe this is just my own. This is probably a selfish question, but 
in your experience, how like how do you get someone to go from a life of being a competitive or maybe even a naughty, maybe just like a, a they're competitive in their gym as far as bodybuilding goes? Is that something that is that sort of transfer of lifestyle to just being like a normal person that eats like a normal person and doesn't stress out about those things? Is that do you, do you find that transition being difficult for a lot of people or, you know, how would you handle that or what sort of, what's the mindset do you think around that transition? So you said you, you've been doing bodybuilding for two decades now, years. essentially, or 25 <laughs> years. Yeah. So quite a long time. So it's, it's, so, so it's your identity as as more or less to it's not who you are it is that kind of <laughs> it is especially as as i've gotten older you know i've got a family yeah. i've got a, a child so it's there's certain personalities that just don't lend to being a bodybuilder it just doesn't work out that way like mm -hmm. the things that used to stress me out like we're going on a family vacation i'm like oh shit like how am i going to bring all my food where's the closest gym like to the hotel like you know those things that it's funny it's funny you say that because i was having a conversation with a group of friends about how probably in the next two or three years i'm gonna probably distance myself my personal life a bit away from bodybuilding because i'm like i feel like this is more of an obstacle of new things i want in my life than it's like pushing my life forward you know what i mean yeah. So that's what I was just interested. I mean, I'm interested in, that. I mean, it's a selfish league in that transition, I think. Well, well, it's not, I'm going to take it away from the selfishness piece and uh, apply it broadly because, um, you know, I, I work in two private practices. And so the practice, the practices I work at, I work a lot with law enforcement. Um, and so with that being said, a cop, it's been a cop for 20 plus years, is no longer a cop for whatever reason they retire they medically retire retire they're uh, not able they're not fit for duty and so they can't be a cop anymore so their identity their life was around them being a cop as who people know known them as that cop and so people know you jason as that um pro bodybuilder so your family your friends your clients jason the pro bodybuilder and so and and so with that being said how do you separate your identity from your work your career what you do your hobbies and so it's not like what you do isn't who you are how you feel isn't who you are who you are is who you are so really trying to look internally to figure out who am i without all these things so i ask clients so who are you without being a cop or who are you without being you know i'm a dad i'm a husband well if you weren't a husband or a dad for whatever reason if those were taken from you if that were ever, then who are you who are you without making X, Y, and Z without being CEO, things like that. So really when you take titles and roles away, who are you? And that's really a, a spirituality question, I think, to really dive deep and look internally because we try to define ourselves by all the things that we do and, um, and how we feel. If we feel like we're a failure, then we are a failure. If we feel like we're amazing, then we are amazing. But really trying to take our feelings out of that as well to not let our feelings and emotions define uh, us yeah, either. Because, I mean, even sort of – and Brian, I'm sure you went through the same thing, transitioning from bodybuilding to CrossFit. It's like there's certain things that we hold on to as bodybuilders. And it could be something as simple as like a training modality or even like an exercise. Like I don't need to do curls anymore. And you're like, what? 
like what what do you mean i don't need to do curls anymore for crossfit like how dare you like it, it's it's just certain things that we've latched onto that you know at least i feel like i know like internally i know that i do i no longer need to do these things even if it is in just relation to exercise or fitness like i know that i no longer need to do these things but for whatever reason even when I look at my own programming, I'll write a program that looks exactly like every bodybuilding program I've ever written in my entire career, knowing that I have other goals that have nothing to do with bodybuilding whatsoever. It's just, it's like one of those things. It's like really hard to let go of. Ryan probably knows more about that than I do. I seem to do a pretty I, good job. I'm, of I'm worse than ever before. <laughs> I'm, I'm deeper down the rabbit hole. I've just got a different endeavor. It's like the rabbit hole kept getting deeper, but I just like branched off and went that direction instead. So it's like, I'm like, and people will tell me like, Oh no, you got separated from bodybuilding. Like how smooth was it? Well, you know, after tracking my macros for seven years straight without missing a single day, I don't do that anymore. So I guess that's good. And it's like, oh, you know, you just like do like you do your CrossFit and like you go home. It's like, yeah, I just go to the gym and I just do my three hours of training. And then I spend the rest of my day reloading my true coach, waiting for Tom to write my next day of programming so I can start obsessing over exactly how I'm going to pace out that next training piece. So I think that I have successfully transitioned away from bodybuilding. But I think now that Dylan has brought it up, I kind of have that replacement thing where it's like I just replaced it with something else to obsess over. So did I do it? Oh, you job? got to, man. You you got to, dude. You'll go crazy. I would, like I, I'm already I'm thinking about giving pushing away from bodybuilding over the next two or three years. And I'm like, man, I need to start mentally preparing myself now for like not being a big guy. Like, you know what I mean? And uh, the only way to do that is I, I gotta replace it with a new hobby, right? <laughs> like I gotta try to be good at something else. And for I'll me, even it's know, like a, Paul, it's a competition thing. Jacked. <laughs> yes, the competition thing definitely has has helped out. <laughs> like I think I just, that I can't, I think that the like I can't deal CrossFit with the fact that not winning is better for my input output brain, my input output bodybuilding brain than bodybuilding actually was because we've removed the subjectivity. There's weights, there's pounds, there's times. There's a, I, you either went faster than me and you, or you didn't. And I don't know if that's been good for my brain mm -hmm. or if it's just been like giving me something to overly obsess about even more so than the the subjectivity of bodybuilding. I don't know. I don't know. That's why we got Dylan here. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, I'm going to charge you guys Please for all do. these sessions Please too, do. by the way. Oh. <laughs> uh. No, um, but really, it's are you enjoying the process? You know, so when you said I need to find something else to be really good at, Paul, is it do you want to be good or do you just want to have fun and enjoy? And so it's I ask clients that too. Is it are you doing this to be the best or are you doing this because you enjoy the process? So I ask people, do you get into the sport because you love it, you enjoy it, and that's okay. But if you're doing it to get that trophy, to get that pro card, that's a problem because if that never happened, then it was all this for nothing. And are you going to hate yourself because you feel like a failure because you didn't get that goal? If you love the process, if you love going to the gym and just trying to push yourself each day, trying to get that one extra pound, that one extra rep, you know, increasing that intensity, then I think that's a pretty good accomplishment right there. You know, just to disclose and share a little bit of my story, you know, with COVID wasn't good to me, you know, being activated for the military with the gym shutting down, with the trying to see clients too, trying to juggle a lot of things. I gained probably about 40 pounds 
of not so good weight over the last two years. And so I'm, I'm down 21 pounds this year, which is nice. And I went from, again, many years ago to chicken, rice, broccoli and having that strict diet, I would freak out. I would try to plan my day around the gym and around my meals rather than planning my meals and gym around my day. And so, um, super stressful, super stressful. And it was more stress to not go to the gym than actually go to the gym. And if I didn't have a good workout, then that was stressful and things like that. And so I'm so thankful. I think that the, it was like, you know, that burden was a blessing. I gained a lot of, I took um, probably a whole last year away from the gym. I was probably in the gym maybe six times a whole last year, which is completely going, working out five, six days a week to barely at all, like once a month maybe. And then um, not having that diet, I'm like, holy crap. I'm again, gained not so healthy weight, but it I had that separation. And now I'm back in the gym. I'm on a, a nice meal plan with my coach down some weight. And I actually look forward to going to the gym. And it's not, I look forward to it because I have to, if I don't go to the gym, it's okay. If I don't feel like doing this body part, I do something else. So I'm trying to be more mindful of my time, my relationships, myself, and not making it like, if I don't, then there's something wrong there a, here. There was a really good distinction that you made in so, there. It was like, are you pursuing this to be the best? Or are you pursuing this because you enjoy it? I think that's I think that's a really good parallel to draw right there. And it makes me worried for not to detract too much here, but it makes me worried for Ash Ketchum of Pokemon because he says that he wants to be the very best that no one ever was. And now I'm concerned that maybe Ash never wanted to catch all the Pokemon to begin with. Maybe he felt pressured by Dr. Oak to be the best that no one ever was. And he wanted to, I don't know, do something else with his life. Maybe run off with one of the other trainers and live a happy life. So that's my, that's my, that's my random aside. I'm, I'm worried about him. Has anyone ever heard from him? These Gen Z folks know what we're talking about though, unfortunately. <laughs> right so. over, right over. So one final question that I had for you, um, and it might be a quick one, it might be a long one. Um, so you work with a lot of bodybuilders and I think that I might be putting words in your mouth here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the period where you see bodybuilders undergo the most mental strain is probably in that post-show period, right? Immediately post-show, we're dealing with returning to normal, quote-unquote, mm. normal eating patterns. There's that post-show blues. What are some commonalities that you might see in those individuals who are post-show struggles that they may have? and ways that you've kind of worked around that successfully or attempted to work around that. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick story to relate with that. Cause I had a buddy back in college, gosh, six, seven years ago now, an undergrad. Um, he was been lifting for five, six years, a little bit older than me as well. Um, skinny kid growing up, super jacked, um, off season 240. Um, his stage weight, I think his first competition was like 185, first competition. And um, again, performance enhancing things like that as well, not to uh, detract from his um, work ethic and his um, just consistency throughout all those years either. Um, so he hopped on stage, looked amazing, but he, to his, he's like, I look like crap, you know? Um, I think he got third his first show. Um, but again, he went so hard so stressed for so long that after that competition quit lifting and he he post cycled completely fine but he barely works out now he got into drugs for a little bit started to drink a lot and he just he just he was so overwhelmed by the whole process he just finally that relief 
And so, yes, to, um, to answer your question, I do see that a lot because, again, they, they've had this goal for so long. They hit their goal. Now what? Now what do I do? Where's my next goal? Where's my next target to aim at? And they're kind of lost. Um, you know, they don't have, they don't have that, um, you know, they might be so exhausted. You know, I think Jason, you said you, you do like a year prep. And so, um, which is awesome, right? You don't, you don't hit that prep in 16, 20 weeks. You can expand that out. So you're not having to cut weight so quickly. You can start kind of slow and just build up and gradually to the end rather than just hitting all really hard, really fast. And so with folks that, you know, really, I like the whole year long process or even the eight to 10 month process rather than I'm going to do it in four months or three months and just like destroy their bodies, destroy their metabolism, destroy their mindset as well throughout the whole process. And then they're exhausted and they're just like, I'm done. This sport's not for me or whatever the case may be. I think I had the opposite effect from dieting, prolonged dieting to where I like, the prolonged dieting, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm beat on this. You know what I mean? And then you spend when, when you diet that slow and then maybe like slow reverse dieting is popular at the time, potentially or whatever. Um, you come out of that spending so long looking good that anything that's not that is just like, this looks awful. When do I get back to that? Like, you know, when do I start dieting again and all that? I think for me, like a big eye opener was, you know, I set this goal where I said I wanted to be a pro and then I got my pro card and I went to work on Monday and this is when I was running a restaurant and everybody was like, how'd you do? And I said, I won. They're like, cool. Uh, can you get me a beer? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go get that beer. Like nobody cared on Monday. And then I set the goal of like, I'm going to win my pro debut. And I went, I did my pro debut. I won. I got my little check for 200 bucks. Went to work on Monday. Everybody's like, how'd you do? I'm like, ah, I won. They're like, cool. Uh, Hey man, can you give me that side of fries right there? I'm like, oh yeah. So it may, it immediately sort of shifted. It's like, I'd reached the goal and I'm like, so what do I do now? There's not. And so I kept, and then, you know, in natural bodybuilding, there's 37 different pro cards you can get. So then I was like, I'm going to get all 37 of these pro cards. And then I'd start accruing those. And it was just that same sort of feeling of like, I'd get to the goal. And then it wasn't that same. It, it, once I got there, it's sort of the, the amount of joy that I had every time I got it just started to decrease over time. And then I replaced that with, I'm going to compete because this is going to be good for business. I'm going to document this whole thing on social media. I'm going to make a ton of money off this. And about halfway through, just having my phone on me all the time and recording myself and not feeling great and hungry, just that was gone. I'm like, what What am I doing here? And just that continuing to sort of set these little goals, I just kind of ran out of things to find interest I in it. No, I don't know if this is fucked up, but this this is a little source of joy here for we go. me. And, and I, I only do it because I think these particular clients will be better for it. But I love bursting that bubble, like when they're taking things too seriously and they're overly, I see that they're overly stressed about this. And I'm just like, hey man, I just want you to know nobody gives a shit. 
right? Like I give a shit because you're paying me and I want you to be happy and you win, I win. I'm like a couple of your close friends give a shit if you compete and do well. No one else on this planet gives a fuck, dude. Like, and I think people need to have that realization early on because if they don't, they might be having it in like their 30s and be like, holy fuck, what did I just do with the last 10 to 13 years of my life? I think Dom's like, brought this up a number of times. Like bodybuilding is a terrible financial decision. Like it's not, it, it, it just is. Like you're not, if, if you're going to be top 10 in the world, you would probably know that after about a month maybe six months, you would know. And it would be clear to everybody in the gym, like, well, this kid's probably going to be like, it, it's, I'm sure that, I mean, I don't want to harp on Chris Bumstead. We're like Phil Heath, Phil Heath in a basketball Jersey looked like he probably would touch a weight and immediately grow. Like he just looked different than everybody else just kind of standing there. So if you're not that person, there's a real good chance that that is not your eventual outcome is to be Mr. Olympia. So if I think if people would shift their framing and kind of look at it like a hobby, it's a hobby. Do you like, like a hobby is like, I like to race RC cars. Okay. Do, do you, does that, is, a, is your, is your entire personality sort of revolving around your also, enjoyment yes. of racing? Also, yes. RC cars. They call me but, RC Ryan for a reason. But I think, I think as soon as people can kind of shift the way they look at it and see it as, and I, I it's tough for me. Some people that want to be influencers, I'm like, you should do that. Like you should definitely think of bodybuilding or fitness as a way to become an influencer because at the end of the day, there's probably a better chance of you making, you know, creating some or having some sort of financial reward than what's going to happen when you get on stage. So I'm all for that. When people are like, I would like to be an influencer. I'm like, cool. It's kind of a weird goal, but do that. Like, <laughs> do that. Yeah. It's, it's almost a matter of resetting your like your frame of thought before you start it's like what advice can i give this person before they even go down this avenue this life avenue so that they can get the most out of the process someone the other day i it was like a quote on a video or something that i was watching and it said the man that loves running will always go further than the man who loves the finish line so it's like the more you can enjoy the running part the farther you're going to go, regardless of where that finish line is, because so many people are so hyper-focused on that finish line, they do what Dylan said. They cross it and they say, now what? They've had everything that was their life for the past six months wiped out. They wake up. There's no more fasted cardio. There's no meal one. There's no full day of eating on your Instagram story. There's no posing practice. There's no pulling off the pump cover at the gym to show like how amazing you look. It's like everything that was joy in that person's life for those six months has been ruined and it hasn't been replaced with anything else along the way. So I wonder, Dylan, if you have any advice that you give people on the front end of a contest prep or a dieting phase, whatever it may be, that allows them to enjoy more of the process and have a smoother transition at the end. Yeah, so when you talk about all these 
habits because they become habits they become ingrained they become our, our daily routine and so all this is creating these neural pathways in our brain and so if we we do these for so long you know we create these neural pathways it's just we don't think about it things become unconscious you wake up you go grab the you go weigh yourself right and then you go grab your food scale you're weighing things out you're pulling things so it's really become so ingrained in our nervous system and what we do and so really um you know even weighing ourselves and looking at the number, that's ingrained. And so our progress is defined by how much we weigh, maybe, you know, what we look like in the mirror, things like that, or how much weight we're putting, you know, for powerlifters too, you know, how um, how much uh, weight are we putting on the bar or for CrossFit, how quick are we doing this, this, this event, things like that. And so really when you take a step back and say, you know what, um, I might not do this for a while, until this is becoming an, an obsessive behavior or something I have to do rather than it's like, I have to do this. I want to do this. You know, I enjoy doing this because I, I imagine there's a lot of people out there that don't enjoy wearing their, weighing their food. They don't enjoy counting macros. They don't enjoy doing this. They want to make their coach happy. They want to please other people and prove to other people on Instagram that I can do this. I, I, I'm, I matter. I'm able to do this for some reason. And so, um, if you're not one, if you feel like you have to rather than a one, then I would kind of reevaluate things and where you're at with the sport or anything you do. It's like, I have to do this. Do you really have to? Or is it just something that you're just, you can't get away from for whatever reason? It's so funny you bring up weighing your food because I've caught myself putting things on the scale and I'm like, why am I? why am I putting this on the scale? Like why I don't need to weigh this. Like I'm just gonna, why don't you just eat it? Like I feel like those, and maybe that's where I come from. You know, I think of tracking as being a bit of a weird <clears throat> neurosis in itself is that it can't be healthy to kind of hang, have anxiety that you can't put your food on the scale or you can't find the thing in my fitness pal that looks like whatever you're eating. You should just be able to just eat like that should be the end game is that I can just eat food and not have to think about it quite as much and realize like if I eat like this continuously over time, I can, this is the way I'm going to look and I can make adjustments based off of previous experience or previous data that I've collected from tracking. But I feel like that's like, that's far off for a lot of us. Um, it, it just, it's crazy. It's like, how do you get people there? You know, I, I had a phase where, uh, I was, I, I had that anxiety, right? Like if I went to visit my mom and she made something for dinner and I couldn't track it, I'd be like internally, I'd be like, oh my God, like no, <laughs> right? And uh, like, I think I hit up my coach one day or something. I was like, dude, I am sick of tracking. Like this is ruining my life. Like it is like, oh, like I'm like going over the edge and I'm about to blow up on this guy for like, paying him to track my food. Right. <laughs> like, um, but I, I don't know. I think he just said, so he was like, Oh, well, I mean, dude, you, like if you want to not track a meal occasionally, it's totally cool. And like something just changed for me along the way. And like, I just became okay with not tracking occasionally. And then all of a sudden, once that happened, I became okay with that and realized that it didn't really have to like it before it felt like this invisible cage. And it's like, no, I can step out of this whenever I want. Now I, I try, track probably like 300 days out of the year, but it doesn't feel like I'm not like losing my mind over it. And like, Oh my God, like what the fuck? Like I can't ever enjoy these things. I'll never have a, a wing again because there's no macro <laughs> split in this world that allows you to eat wings. Like, you know what I mean? 
It's true. I mean, I've got a bunch of sort of latent behaviors from even like clean eating. There was time where I would do the deal where I'd eat clean five or six days a week. And then I'd have like a cheat day or cheat meal. And then I still kind of do that because I eat the same meals Monday through Friday. A lot of that's just based off simplicity. Like I don't have a lot of time to think about what I'm going to eat next. So I just eat the same foods. And then the weekends, like we talked about before the call, I have to like consciously tell myself like you do not need to overeat like you don't need to eat past the point of fullness you don't have to worry about how big you're going to get you don't like those days are over like leave that behind you just eat to your full like a normal human being you can leave food on your plate i mean i get my wife and i have this discussion all the time about like you know the clean plate club like we're like oh we tell our son like you know you have to clean your plate and sometimes like, no, he doesn't have to clean his plate. Like that's like, if he, if he says he's done eating, he's just done eating. Like, let's just let him make those decisions. Cause I feel like all those behaviors kind of follow you through life. And then you kind of compound that with bodybuilding. And then it's really hard to kind of let that stuff go. I just wonder how you get people there, dude, you know, because me personally, I've been through a lot of it. Like I've had points in my life where stepping on the scale in the morning that could define how happy or upset I am for the rest of the day. Right. It doesn't anymore. At some point I just had a realization. I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a big deal. No matter what my goal is, if I'm trying to gain weight or lose weight, I'm just like, Oh, that's the number. And I separate from it as soon as I step off the scale. But I'm like, man, how did I get there? How, how do other people get there? You know what I mean? I had this conversation with a client a couple of days ago where she stepped on this. She was telling me that her weigh-ins were affecting how she looked in the mirror. And these were like 48, 72 hours separated from each other. And I said, well, what did you do first? Did you look in the mirror first and then step on the scale? Or did you step on the scale and then look in the mirror? And she said, well, I weigh in and then I take my photos or then I look in the mirror. And I said, can you entertain the possibility that maybe what you're seeing on the scale is skewing what you're seeing in the mirror? you're seeing a higher number on the scale and that's affecting what you think you see looking back at you in the mirror. And she said, well, you know, that, that might be, that might be the way how it's going. And I see that a lot where people let that number, like you <laughs> said, ruin the rest of their day. Definitely in treatment facilities, they don't let the client, they get weight every morning, but they don't, they, they turn them away from the scale and they hide the number from them. So the client doesn't know how much they weigh because that number on the scale affects how they see themselves, like you said, in the mirror. And so again, looking away, I'll look at the numbers. So not weighing yourself every day, maybe once um, when your coach wants you to check in on Monday, you weigh in Monday morning and then you give your coach the number, things like that. So if you if it becomes a, a obsessive compulsive behavior, then maybe not doing that, you know, it's going to be hard. Um, it, again, it's having that balance for you because I, it's easy for me to say that, but I'm not in, uh, my prep phase and I'm not four weeks out from competing either or, uh, uh, or four months out from competing. So I really don't need to make a certain weight. So I don't have to look at the scale every day, even though I'm trying to lose weight, I can look at it once a week and know if I'm, you know, somewhat making progress. Well, Dylan, I so think, again, been, I think, that we've, I think I we've taken too I much of your time. We can only, we can only afford yeah. to pay you so much here. We're really, you know, we're really struggling keeping a roof over our head here at Gifted Performance. And, you know, an hour and 15 of your time is, is more than enough. Guys, did you have any, any final questions for Dylan? Dylan, any final points that you wanted to leave the people with here? Paul? So there's this one time when I was, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
I was about to try and get a full session, dude. <laughs> Dylan, please tell the people oh, where, really, where they can find you, where they can reach out to you, where they can hire you, where they can purchase your services, all of that. You know, uh, the business Stronger You Life Coaching and Wellness, um, my website's being worked on, so it's not up and running right now, but obviously um, strongeryou.lifecoaching.gmail.com as well. Um, and then Ryan, you can always, you know, send people my way or give them my number and email and they can always reach out to me via text message, phone call, things like that. Um, but again, I really like that analogy. Enjoy the running, not the finish line, you know, and you can take that with bodybuilding or any, 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 do you really enjoy the, your job or do you just look forward to getting that big paycheck at, at the end of the two weeks? So really just looking at your life. Yeah. <laughs> so just enjoying the process. All of Dylan's links, his social media profile, his email account. His, um, we won't include your phone number in the link just because so you don't get any kind of like weird <laughs> communications going on there. Um, uh, if you do, if you are a client at Gifted Performance and you would like Dylan's number slide to, to reach out to him, please just message us at Gifted Performance or message one of the coaches here and we can relay that information to you. But email, um, we will throw the website link below for when it is up and running if people are watching this you know six months a year from now so they can find that website link as well as his instagram is in the description of this video if you want to reach out to dylan thanks for watching thanks for coming through like comment subscribe to all that youtube stuff that bumps us up in the algorithm to get dylan's handsome face in front of as many people as possible it's been a great episode dylan thanks for coming on we'll see all of you guys on the next one in the meantime and in between times and as always stay gifted paul Bye. Bye. Oh, by the ER course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really, you're really pimping that thing hard. <laughs>